Hi there to all of you out there in ASDA land. My name is Gabriel Holdwick, a general dentist and former ASDA leader. You have tuned that virtual radio dial to Life and Loops, a podcast where we talk with past ASDA national leaders about where their dental school journeys have taken them. My goal with Life and Loops is to help you think less about graduation day and more about the day after graduation. In the midst of all of the exams and competencies and clinic checks, it can be hard to really know what options are out there once you finally break out of school. I want to help showcase some really interesting ASDA alumni doing some pretty interesting and not always traditional things. If you aren't quite sure where you want your dental degree to take you, these episodes will show you how diverse the options open to you really are. If the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to some interesting ASDA alumni doing some interesting things, then our guest today is really going to knock your socks off. He is a veritable renaissance man when it comes to dentistry. He graduated from Stony Brook School of Dental Medicine in New York. I first encountered him when I was in dental school through his blog, The Curious Dentist. He has served as the ASDA president, chair of the ADA New Dentist Committee, and president of his local dental society. He has owned a private practice in New York State for over 10 years and was the editor of the publication Dental Economics for six. He currently is the Chief Development Officer at Celerant Consulting and Chief Dental Officer at TEND. He has been a regular fixture on the lecture circuit, speaking often at numerous ASDA events. It is my great pleasure and honor to introduce our guest today, Dr. Chris Salerno. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much. Uh, we we call ourselves the past as leaders has the bins. That's the term. <laughs> that is our term. Um, but you always the the the, the ASDA students make us feel so welcome when we get the chance to come back and and speak at an NLC. So it, it's uh, it, it's a title I wear proudly. Well, and I use the term ASDA land with a lot of affection because it is um, it is absolutely a lot of fun to depart from the regular regular life of that general dentistry can be or anything else and get to go and hang out with the students. They have so much energy and so much passion and they're so creative. I just love going to NLC and I'm sure you feel the same. It rejuvenates. Oh my gosh. Look forward to it every year. And so Chris, you've been a longtime friend of ASDA. And so it was uh, no surprise that you accepted this invitation, but we're so grateful that you're going to spend a few minutes with us. Uh, I have to say that I have been a great admirer of yours for quite a while now. Um, you're not that much older than I am, but uh, I remember at an ASDA meeting I attended as a student, your hotel room was right next to the block of rooms that the my school was staying at. And uh, so wide was your fame, even then through the Curious Dentist, that everybody knew that the Curious Dentist was staying next to our room. And uh, we, I don't know, I can't <laughs> say if that caused us to behave better or not, but uh that was, I just thought you might like to know that, uh, that we have interacted in the past but wow, many years wow. ago. <laughs> that's, that's very lovely. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad I was the hall monitor uh, for you guys. <laughs> yes. I don't know if you want quite that distinction, but some things have, <laughs> some things have changed with dental student behavior at dental meetings, but I'm not sure yeah. that much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, Chris, um, every one of us has lived, uh, lived a life prior to dental school. We had things that we did prior to walking into, into, uh, the great halls, the great hallowed halls of the dental school. Um, what, tell me a little bit about your life before dental school. Did you come from a dental family? 
Um, yeah. Did you, were you from New York originally? Like, tell me a little about that. Yeah. Grew up on Long Island, New York. That's suburbs, right? Not the big city. My dad's an orthodontist. He's happily retired. His brother, my uncle's an endodontist. So I grew up thinking, well, this is a pretty cool gig. And I went to college thinking I might go to medical school. I was keeping my options open. And, um, you know, in college, I, in late high school and in college, I started to work with my dad, build up the CV, start to get some experience. And, you know, orthodontics, like that's a, that's a pretty sweet lifestyle. My dad had two great practices that he owned and with his partner. And I'm like, I, this seems fun. I get this. Like, this is a great life. Well, what am I doing? Medical school. What am I thinking? And uh, uh, pretty quickly pivoted to to it because of of my father and and my uncle too. I knew he he enjoyed his his life as well. But I shot straight through. I didn't uh, I didn't have a, a gap year. I went right. You know, I was pretty driven from high school through college. Um, pivoted probably in in sophomore year. I was like, I'm going to be a dentist, and went went straight through and and was was fortunate to be accepted. So I was entering dental school at, at age 21. Nice, nice, and. Um... You know, I know you in a completely professional sense, but does there anything else that Chris Salerno likes to do other than teeth uh, that yeah, prior I, to high school? Like, did you run track or did you play football or anything like that? I, I did nothing athletic like that. I was president of the science club. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. I Illustrious. Kind of a big deal <laughs> at my high school. But I, if I didn't get into dental school, I would have gone to film school. I love film. Um, would have you know, aspired to be like one of those film auteurs, like a Tarantino or a Chris Nolan, you know, those, those folks who like write the screenplay, have a full vision, bring it to, to the screen. Um, that would have been my, my favorite thing. But I realized, of course, well, first of all, I got into dental school, so that was great. But I realized I could, I could be a dentist and still dabble in things that call upon those, those skills on the side. I can't be a filmmaker and dabble in dentistry. There's laws against that. So I was able to still have my cake and eat it too by, by going the path I went. Well, and dentistry is lucky to have you, Chris, because I do recall, ladies and gentlemen, that Chris does publish YouTube videos. And as a matter of fact, I had a few uh, PPP paperworks, uh, items of paperwork that would not have gotten filled out had I not watched one of Dr. Salerno's videos. So we are lucky to have your talents, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks for watching. <laughs> I don't know if watching is the right word. I think taking notes and trying to survive was what we were all trying to do back then. <laughs> I'll tell you the hardest, the heart. So, and we may get into this later, but the hardest type of speaking is recording. In my opinion, by far, get, put me up in, in front of a, an auditorium of a thousand people. No problem. Um, uh, you know, a podcast. Great. That's fine. But when you need to speak, and it's recorded, no do-overs, and speak in, in perfect little sound bites. That is really hard. And I, I marvel at the people that are able to be YouTube famous and actually record these videos. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure they do lots of takes, but that's actually like super hard. So I, I don't make as many videos as I would love to. And I, I thank you for encouraging me to make more. The pleasure is all mine. Keep them coming as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad is an orthodontist. Your uncle is an endodontist. You ended up, uh, you, what was your major in undergrad? I was a dual major in philosophy and basically biology. They called it natural science, mm -hmm. but yeah, you know, I took all the same, they took the biology yep. courses, the pre-dental courses, right? Cool. Organic chemistry, all that stuff. So then, uh, you went from undergrad to Stony Brook, uh, kind of straight shot. Uh, mm -hmm. you're a New York state resident. So I assume you did a residency. 
Yep. Yep. Uh, so I actually, so this is 2005. I graduated. That was one of the first years, if not the first year that we had the option of uh, uh, using what, what they call PGY-1. I could do my residency in lieu of taking the board exam. And so I, I was very involved with ASDA at the time and said, you know what, this is a clear path. I'm going to practice in New York. I'm going to go that way. So I, yes, I went into residency like most New Yorkers do anyway, uh, and people in Northeast do anyway, and, and had that count from my, uh, in lieu of my board exam, my live patient exam, which was pretty sweet. Awesome. Awesome. So at some point you were in the same position that a lot of our listeners are in where you were in dental school and you were thinking, gosh, what the heck am I going to do when I get out of here? Like, do I want to specialize? Do I want to go into academia? Do I want to go into the military? And especially with the heavy influence you had with your dad and your uncle being a specialist, like um, when you were selecting your path, like if I'm going to go to a residency or not, like at what point did you decide that you did not want to specialize and that general dentistry was for you? Tell us a little about that journey. I couldn't decide what my favorite thing to do in dentistry was. So I thought a GPR makes a ton of sense, right? I get exposed to more things. And I actually, and I stayed at Stonebrook for my GPR, uh, got wonderful education in, you know, implant dentistry, more endo, all those kinds of things that we look for. Uh, I didn't get a ton of ortho experience like most folks, I think. Um, this was not super, you know, now I think a lot of folks can, can, can get exposed to clear liner therapy or even get that training in residency. That was mm -hmm. really a thing back in the early 2000s. So, gosh, a lot of people thought I was crazy. Like, your dad's an orthodontist. Why aren't you going into that? Like, what are you doing? You got to practice. It's the dermatology of dentistry, guys. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> but I, I, you know, my exposure to it at that point was, was such that I didn't think I would enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I'd enjoy the work. What I realized I loved was hole in tooth, I fix hole in tooth. Bad tooth, take out bad tooth. Like there's this immediate satisfaction with that kind of work. And with orthodontics, all love to our orthodontists. Let me tweak a thing, come back in two weeks. Let me see if it moved, you know, a millimeter. That doesn't give me that instant gratification that I personally wanted. And so even as I began to dabble in, in clear liner therapy or get more exposed to ortho, I never really looked back and thought I should go back and, and, and get my ortho training. I enjoyed doing some clear liner therapy, but it was never anything that really moved it for me. So uh, a lesson that I, I, I fortunately was, was had learned early on was don't just do it because there's an easy path or because there's money at the end of the rainbow. Like if you're not going to be satisfied doing the work, then don't do it. Find something else. And I think you hit on something there, Chris, that um, maybe a lot of our listeners haven't put language to yet, but it is, really common among dentists to be the type of person that you described where it's like hole in tooth, put hole in tooth. Like when you when somebody comes to you with a problem, you identify the problem, you fix the problem and you have them leave better than when they came in. When I was in residency, when I would rotate through the family medicine uh, program and uh, in the residence, that's much more academic. And so they're tweaking medications. They're trying to like, see, like checking lab values. And it's a lot, it's a lot more um, I guess I used the word academic and that's probably the one I would pick. And so I was drawn more towards what you're describing. And I think a lot of our listeners can, can relate to that. And I had classmates who weren't that way, that they were a lot more intellectual and they didn't necessarily gravitate towards the clinical aspects of dentistry. And there are options for them there too. And uh, we'll be talking to some of those, I'm sure in our upcoming interviews, but 
I have a couple classmates that went into PATH or went into public health. And uh, for those of you out there who are not really sure you like uh, drilling and filling, uh, there are there are alternatives out there. But uh, you you hit on that, Chris, and I think that that's a very excellent point. Thank you for talking about that. No, my, my pleasure. And residents, I'm a big proponent of residency. So I, I realize unlike the Northeast or, or the West Coast, there are plenty of parts of the country where people tend to not go into a residency. I am a strong proponent of it. It builds your skill set, your speed, all that stuff. Uh, not all residencies are created equal. Go to a residency that will complement the skill sets uh, that you're looking for. But gosh, what an amazing opportunity to learn and grow. You're still safe under the school learning environment, the, re- the hospital program environment. Um, you know, I've had people say to me, I don't want to do a residency, but what courses should I be taking for occlusion and to place implants and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I have to say to myself, my gosh, go to a residency that does that. You'll actually get paid to learn how to do this on patients <laughs> of record rather than skip residency and then pay tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to learn this on, you know, pig jaws or whatever. And, yeah. and th- those learnings are fantastic. Please take those courses. But what a wonderful opportunity to, to do a, a residency as, as a general dentist, of course, mm-hmm. I'm speaking to do a, a, a GPR or even a chief year GPR and, and profoundly mm-hmm. build your skill set in a way that you will never be able to ever again after you go into the real world. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And obviously I'm biased because I did a GPR as well. Um, but you have to learn, you have to cut your chops somewhere. And uh, whether you're doing that with your own shingle on the wall, with a really solid mentor, uh, whether you go into a co- more corporate model, whether you go into academia or the military, like you're going to have to learn how to do this stuff in a, in a more efficient and a more profit, proficient way when you get out of dental school. So I, um, you're, you're talking to a, a friendly face here when, and that when you're, uh, when you're singing the praises of GPRs and AGDs and other post-secondary options. Um, and Chris, that kind of brings us to one of the things I think is so interesting about your story, you know, after we get done with residency, because you are, I don't use the term Renaissance man because I was trying to fluff you up. I was using it because I can't think of any other way to describe your experiences. So I'd like you to, I'd like to kind of have us talk through some of the things that you do for employment. Um, we'll start with the one that most of our listeners will be more familiar with is your clinical practice. Um, you do own a practice and I think you have a partner. Um, I do. I sold that practice to oh, take you on did. my new position with 10. Yes. But I, I, so I was associated for a few years uh, after school, like most folks do. And then I did a, a, I started my own practice with a partner in 2010. So I owned that practice with my partner for about 12 years before I, I sold it. So I, I now can speak to the practice transition side, the selling the practice side, which is, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I was in private practice for ooh, 17-ish years before uh, where I am now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so did you transition out from that model um, because you were looking for something that was um, more stimulating in another way? Or did you just decide that you had learned what you wanted to learn, experience what you wanted to experience? Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. So uh, my my journey was interesting. So about three years of associateships from, say, 2006, when I got out of residency, my GPR, Bounced around a few places, couple, pick up a couple of days here, a couple of days there, typical associate stuff. And this is now 2008, 2009. We're still reeling from the Great Recession. 
I couldn't find the opportunity I was looking for to go into a practice or buy someone out or get on a, a short plan of I'll work here for a year and this person's 65 and clearly wants to retire. You know, I, I couldn't find that opportunity at the time uh, on Long Island. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to start my own practice. Maybe I'll, I'll pick that path. And for me, I had learned from, from ASDA that I really enjoyed public speaking, that I really enjoyed organized dentistry. I wanted to be the master of my own destiny. I wanted to be able to take time off and build a schedule that allowed me to do these, to chase these other pursuits, um, writing and, and, and traveling and lecturing and doing all that stuff, right? So that's why I started my own practice with my partner. Why a partner? Because I started to get to the point, Gabe, where I wanted to practice, say, two or three days a week as a long-term goal. And then the rest of my week would be open to do the other stuff, whatever other pursuits might come my way. It's hard to own a practice that's only open two or three days a week. So a partner, aside from just having that, that co-mentor, right? We, we, we teach each other things and have someone we could talk to on a daily basis and, and not commiserate, but, but build something together and get mm -hmm. that other perspective. This was also someone who could, fill in the rest of the week, the work week for this practice. So the practice itself was open five or six days a week, even though I was only there two or three. So I met a wonderful uh, young woman, um, Dr. Erin Thomas. We just knew each other from social circles, study clubs, new dentist, you know, events uh, around, around our dental societies. And we just hit it off and um, we built the practice together. And it was interesting uh, as a startup, you know, you're not going to, pay yourself right away. Uh, so I would work two or three days a week in that office. She would work two or three days a week in that office. The days we weren't we were in that office, we were working somewhere else, actually earning a paycheck, right? So I was working, say, five or six days a week to start. And then little by little, I would chip away a day. And I would have, say, a Friday or a Wednesday to, I would, I taught at Stony Brook. I dabbled in that for a little bit to see if academia was for me. Uh, I started to create time, precious, precious time to explore the things that I thought I wanted to explore. It takes time to sit just in front of a, you know, blank PowerPoint slide and make a thing and to start shopping that around to study clubs and to, takes time to go to to dental conferences and to build because I wanted to pursue pursue that right mm -hmm. so it financially was tough because I wasn't cranking out dentistry and I was building a practice at the same time where which wasn't paying me very much but boy was it worth it in the long run mm -hmm. uh, yeah. after a few years I, I started to have other opportunities regular opportunities such as becoming editor of dental economics regular lecturing, regular consulting. So gosh, around 2021, 2020, 2021 is when I was faced with the decision to take the opportunity as chief dental officer with TEND would mean giving up a lot of those, those other activities I had put together, but I had a real full schedule. I was, I mean, seven days a week, I was doing something mm -hmm. and I was so happy. I was loving my life. I was doing all these different pursuits uh, that we can get into more, more detail on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I was ready, honestly, Gabe, I was ready to, to, to face a new set of challenges mm -hmm. and to oversee uh, a multi-site healthcare operation and, and take mm -hmm. on that challenge. So that in a nutshell is, is okay. 
some of those decision points through, through my career so far. Awesome. Awesome. So you, um, you talked to us a little bit about your journey with private practice. Um, where in the, is this where the curious dentist kind of fit in to your life? It was in this period where you're like dabbling in a lot of stuff, starting your private practice, learning things the hard way, and then sharing with everybody else what you learned. Is that kind yes. of where the curious dentist fits in all of this? Yeah. So I started the curious dentist because I was lecturing a little bit. I would go to ASDA meetings, um, local study clubs, and I realized I, no one, I was just starting out as a speaker. How do I get more speaking engagements? How do I get to write for magazines like Dental Economics or other publications? Unfortunately, this is around a time, this is a little before podcasts, but but blogs were were huge at the time, still are popular, but blogs are huge. And I said, okay, I'm going to make my own blog. I'm going to write myself. I'm going to self-publish. And as I, le- as I walk out of a lecture room, I have now a place for people to go and still engage with me, still keep in touch. Um, they can reference some materials, videos, whatever, I, I, you know, cheat sheets I put together. So that's really where it started was no one else was asking me to come write for them or or speak for them. And this was a way to build a a presence, uh, an online brand Mm -hmm. that would fuel future lecturing efforts. That's where that started. As I got busier with other things, um, gosh, at the height of it, I was writing two articles a week, every week consistently for five years, four or five years, something like that. when I got busy with say dental mm-hmm. economics and other things, I, I that's where my writing energies had to go, mm-hmm. but it's, it's hanging out there. The content's still out there. I'm, yeah. I'm proud of it. And um, that's, that's my online handles, my Twitter and my Instagram. I'm still excited to, to, to share some of that information, mm-hmm. especially as, as we see what the future may hold um, and, uh, and, and see, see if there's still ways to, to create content. This where it really came from Gabe with my favorite thing to do when I was in dental school. And this is so nerdy. My favorite thing to do was to take, you know, the class notes and the textbook and just take all these pieces of information, put it together and make it make sense for my brain and then share that with other people. I love doing that. I love saying, here's how I made this make sense. Here's my notes for for certain things. That gave me such joy to do that. You know, to, to not, I wasn't a, a overachiever. I wasn't. I didn't care about my own grades. I would walk out of an, an exam room, and the 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 answers, the multiple choice answers, are posted. And everyone's running to see what they put for this to see if they got an eighty nine. Oh, I don't know I anything like, about that, Chris. Nothing about that. No. Yeah. No. I know, and that's fine. <laughs> We're all overachievers, dentists. But I would walk out and be like, "The test is done, man. Like, I, I'm I'm going to get lunch." But what was fun for me was to to try to to synthesize that information and and teach. My mom was a teacher. I I I I was so inspired by her to 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 try to, to that when you see that light bulb go off for someone and they put it together. Go, oh, that's why that is that way. That's the juice that I get as a lecturer mm-hmm. or as a writer. When you see people like give a thumbs up and like and share a story or something you wrote and say, "Hey, that was interesting," that that to me is is the greatest gift I can do. I can give a, my profession. It's that's where the greatest joy comes from is is creating material. Usually, just borrowing from other people. I'm I'm no genius. I I take these other books and and say, "Okay, let's apply this to dentistry and see how it can how it can come together." But that's that's the greatest joy and anything. 
what, so early on in my career, I realized even in, 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 in dental school and in ASDA, I realized I love doing this other stuff. I love teaching, teaching. So anything that could get me that teaching fix it was, was where I wanted to be. And doing regular dentistry, I loved it. I love the challenge of owning a practice of doing one-on-one teaching with, with patients, right? You're, you're a teacher. Uh, if you, hopefully you're teaching your patients uh, oral health <laughs> and whatever. Um, and those moments are great. And I just wanted to find how to, how to broaden the, the, the antennas there, right? How, how do I, how do I reach more people and, and, and have more of an impact as a teacher? So from that experience with the curious dentist, and for those of you who have never had a chance to look at the content, I highly recommend you go and do so. Uh, lots of interesting topics. Chris then is what we now call an influencer. Uh, based on on all of you. I don't think we, we didn't use the term as such at the time, but I was in dental school about the time when, uh, when the curious dentist was really popular. So um, I encourage you all to go and check out the content, but kind of springboarding from that. um, Tell us a little bit about Celerant and Tend, uh, what those, what your roles with those organizations are, what they do and kind of what your life looks like now that you've, um, that the curious dentist has, has pushed you, uh, to the next level and that you've sort of, um, I don't want to use the term closed the door, but have kind of moved, evolved into something else from private practice. Uh, tell us a little bit about those endeavors that you're working on now. So early on when I was working with the Curious Dentist, that 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 online brand that I was putting together was was reaching dentists and I would get a gig for a study club locally or or, or to travel. That was great. But it also got me on the radar of some companies, some manufacturers um, again, or before the term influencer, what influencer was around that, uh, they said, okay, this, this kid seems like, he knows what he's talking about. I was able to fool them. Um, and they would invite me to weigh in on, on uh, a new product they're developing or how to position that product. This was consulting really. And I got to do a lot of that when I was with dental economics too, because you're not just overseeing the, the, editing of articles and, and what type of content you want to bring to, to, to your audience with the, the writers you have, but you also sit down with manufacturers who want to tell a story and you help them tell that story. I became addicted to consulting. It's fun to give advice and to work collaboratively with manufacturers and see how they can position a product or, or design the R&D piece. It's interesting. So, that's so your, consulting, your consulting was with manufacturers, with the manufacturers, with manufacturers, yes. not okay. practice. Yeah. I was not okay. a practice management consultant. So Celerant is a consulting group led by Dr. Lou Schumann. Um, got to know him through dental economics. It's all networking, my friends, mm-hmm. put yourself out there. It's all networking. Go to all the dental meetings. You can hang out at the exhibit fair, just talk to people and be seen. So uh and Consulting is is a, a manufacturing consulting group that I I work with and there's a number of other wonderful people that are are that are dentists that are involved with that. And we get to to work with startup companies all the way to you know major legacy manufacturing powerhouses and give them advice, right? Do you still this work with Celerant or have you I do. Yeah, I do still okay. work with Celerant. I've had to to I don't get to work with as much as I as I used to. Uh Tend came along. Um I it's all networking. I, it's people I had met through being involved with the new dentist committee, um, through dental economics, through Celerant, uh, people that just knew I was around doing stuff uh, other than having a handpiece in my hand. Um, when when this company, uh, who was young at the time, only about a year and a half old, when Ten was looking for a chief dental officer as part of their natural growth and, and uh, 
an evolution, I was fortunate to be on on that shortlist and mm-hmm. uh, was approached and and had to had to take a look, long look at the mirror and say, "Gosh, am I going to give up my practice and dental? Yeah. And I'm going to give up all these things." But if you got to build a large group practice yourself and make it the way you would want to, boy, that sounds like a pretty good challenge. Mm-hmm. I said yes. And so tend is it is a, a multi-site dental like. I don't know what term you would use to describe yeah. it, but I'll let you talk, yeah, so you talk about multi-site it. Multi-site practice, yeah. sure. Yeah. So it's all of these uh, were all of these words have a slightly different nuance. And so <laughs> they do. So so my so there's we have currently 21, about to be 22 locations. It's only in urban areas, and they're only startups and they're all branded as tend. So mm-hmm. we we're I lecture, you probably see me lecture on. Uh, creating a value proposition for target markets. Mm -hmm. They are creating a value proposition for urban professionals, typically in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. How do we get them excited about their oral health? And so they've looked at that whole patient journey, removed those common pain points, price transparency, being nervous and anxious. Let's instead remove those and infuse some surprise and delight, some hospitality. So it's it's an interesting take on dentistry. It's not just dentistry in the city. We are appealing to to a certain type of, of patient, and it is a great challenge. I'm having so much fun being able to work with dentists, hygienists, dental assistants, making sure they're delivering outstanding care, but also making sure that they are cared for as providers. Excellent. So we've talked quite a lot about Celerant and Tend. Um, we've mentioned dental economics quite a bit. I don't know if we've actually spoken about what exactly your role was with them. Um, can you just uh, can you describe that a little bit? I know we're kind of backing up a little bit. Yeah, no worries. So I loved writing, loved speaking. One of the groups I worked with quite a bit was was dental economics. I started to it's again, it's all networking. Just go put your name out there, talk to people. Um, I started to do some webinars with them. I started to edit a, a newsletter, a e newsletter with them. And in 2014, their chief editor was retiring and. Again, I was I found myself on a, on a short list, and the publisher approached me and said, "Would you consider being the next chief editor of Dental Economics?" I was blown away. I, I didn't think that would be a position that would be available uh, to for someone like me, um, and said yes. Uh, I had a great run, seven years with them. Uh, my friend Pam Raglino Muniz now is the chief editor. Um, got to to spend seven glorious years traveling the country. It really helped me as a practice management lecturer who who Mm -hmm. loves talking about the business of dentistry. That gave me some gravitas to talk about business, (laughs) being the editor of dental economics, of course. But it was amazing, I mean, to meet all of the luminaries, like people like Gordon Christensen, Roger Levin, to to have those folks on speed dial was was quite a gift. And and Mm -hmm. to call them mentors now is, 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 is quite an honor. So a great run. Um, was proud of that of that publication, and it's now in even better hands with with Dr. Pam. So you've been um, you've been dentistry for I think the number you said was seventeen years, and so um, there's a lot of our listeners who are in dental school. There may be a few residents lurking out there, uh, but a lot of them are in dental school, and a lot of them are maybe look at your career thus far and wonder like what how do I do what he does or how do I know what I want to do and execute on it? And so uh, I guess I would ask if you are talking to a group of students, which you do often, how would you encourage them to look at what they want their career to look like? Um, the, the most common experience that students have is with their own dentist. 
Um, and their own dentist is very likely in a private practice setting in a suburban uh, American city somewhere. And so um, what would your advice be to students as, they, as they're thinking about where they want to land um, after dental school is over? Don't be afraid to dabble. I dabbled a lot over my career. I didn't just become dental economics editor. I dabbled in writing, right? Let me put a blog out. Let me network and start writing articles. And if I discovered I hated it, I would have stopped. I dabbled in, in academia. I really enjoyed it, but I realized it just wasn't the right fit for me. There's other ways I wanted to teach. I loved teaching. In front. So I dabbled and moved on, right? It took, I gave up half a day a week to go teach at a dental school. It wasn't a significant commitment. And mm -hmm. after a few years, I realized it wasn't for me and I was able to move on. Don't be afraid to dabble. And we're so fortunate that if you're involved with your local dental society or uh, the AGD, or there's so many groups uh, as, as professionals. We have so many avenues, conferences. There's so many opportunities to engage with other people from manufacturing, from media, from whatever industry you, you or slice of dentistry you want to you look at. There's so many people to interact with. Mm -hmm. And just don't be afraid to try stuff. If you are looking to not just have that hang up, you know, the, the, the shingle and have that beautiful suburban practice, if you want to do these other things, you have so many wonderful opportunities to try. It's because of ASDA that I learned that. ASDA gave me a ton of opportunity to get up in front of a group of people and realize I was addicted to it. Mm -hmm. to to sit in a conference room with with board members and realize wow I like talking about policy I never would have known that if I hadn't right. had that experience right so mm -hmm. I'd say to to a dental student you're going to graduate you're going to get you're going to become a DDS or DMD don't be afraid to ask for permission to take a little bit of time out of clinic or after clinic hours and do some let's call it extracurricular work right right Mm -hmm. be involved with ASDA, D go do a thing and see if you start getting addicted to it because it could lead you to all kinds of exciting ways. And I think that those pursuits, they might still lead you back to clinical dentistry. Absolutely. And um, I know some of the stuff that I do outside of the office, It there's a lot of things I learn uh, that I bring back to the office on Monday that um, some program or some product or, or whatever. So for those of you out there who like, gosh, I kind of want to be a Dentist, I don't know. I kind of want to be a general dentist. I don't know if I want to be on the speaker circuit, but there's plenty of ways. And this is our shameless plug for organized dentistry, of course, um, with ASDA and ADA and AGD. But I learned tons of stuff when I think when, when the main objective is for me serving the profession uh, to bring it back to my private practice and to and to make that better for my patients and for my staff and for me. I, I'm I, I, I heard that um, in your remarks. Absolutely. That my very good friend, Dr. Josh Austin, who practices in San Antonio, was chair of the Council on Communications for the ADA. He's a master in the AGD. He's a full-time practicing dentist. He has a column in dental economics. He's on the speaker circuit in hot demand, all over, gets to travel the world. He does a lot of the things I like to do, but boy, he's still really addicted to everyday clinical dentistry and he gets to do that. There's so many paths to, to choose. It's if you go the route that I've gone, it doesn't mean you have to, to turn your back on regular clinical dentistry mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I love how you had said, it's okay to try things and then to try something different. I think that's the, uh, if it's not scratching the itch or if it's not satisfying the need, then there, the, you have permission to do something else uh, if you want to. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you brought that forward. 
No, absolutely. You, you have to ask for permission and say, I'd like to try something else and see where, where this great profession can, can take me. Make the time for yourself. Excellent. Um, I have one other very important question. Um, as someone who is from Long Island, um, the appropriate way to say the word Long Island, are you gonna are you gonna share that with us? Yeah, it's Long Island. Long Island. Long a Island. Of, a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee. <laughs> oh my god, let's go to the mall. Let's get some coffee. Yeah, yeah I am. Um, the receptionist at my residency was from Long Island. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I did my residency in the south. And I'm obviously from the Midwest. And so she was, uh, her and I would commiserate sometimes because our local dialects were not easily intelligible always. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. The the local Patois will come out when you are uh, like angry. You know, I, I like to, uh, people say, you don't sound like you're from Long Island. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Thank you. But if I get feisty in traffic, oh, it's, it's, it's coming out. You'll hear it. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll say something and my, the people I'm with are like, what does that? what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. We have oh, our own goodness. words. Goodness. Well, Chris, um, just as we kind of wrap this up, you have the ear of a lot of our, our, our best and brightest young dentists out there, our aspiring young dentists. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with them? Anything that you would like to, uh, to impart upon them as we wrap this interview up? You know, I'll, I'll restate something I said before, cause I think it's incredibly important. Don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to be bold and make time for yourself. You're not alone. You're never alone. And I've had times in my career as I've jumped from one kind of opportunity to another, there were times where whatever it was I was doing may have been pretty frustrating, pretty stressful. And that's life. Life is going to bring some stress to it. But if you ever feel like you truly are unhappy, you know, for days, weeks, months on end with wherever it is dentistry has brought you, we're pretty fortunate. There's dozens and dozens of totally different things you can do with your degree. And just remember, you're not alone. You have plenty of people. Hopefully you build a network. And if you haven't yet, let's start now. You can build a network of people that have gone through what you've gone through and that are doing things that you might want to try. And we're pretty fortunate that that we get to be together going through this profession together. <laughs> Wise words from Dr. Chris Salerno, the curious dentist. I just can't thank you enough for joining us today. And I uh, am sure that our listeners out there enjoyed getting to hear your words as much as I do. I've been listening to you speak for over a decade now, and uh, I even learned some stuff today. And so I thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule and uh, have a good one. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Gabe. Next episode, we will be speaking with Alexandra Otto, whose path in dentistry has extended all the way from Alaska to Texas. We'll follow her career from general dentistry to pediatric care and discuss how her startup practice has expanded into a multi-location business, showcasing that there is always room to grow.